From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday. To each and every one of you, thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. If you'd like to be part of the program, we'd love to hear from you. The phone number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is one 205 2985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams. Charles Beery is our celebrity producer today. Matt Gubensky screening your phone calls. And Jeff Burson, magnificent person, is handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is here every Thursday, Dominican Father Brian Mullady. How are you? Okay. How about yourself? You know what? If I were any better, I'd be wearing a white habit. Wow. Or a cream <laughs> habit. What do you call? What color do you call the habit officially? Well, it's supposed to be white. Supposed to be white. Okay. Very good. So, um, you know, when you look through the phone book, there's like a whole bunch of things that tell them that tell you that they're churches. And it looks like there's a whole bunch of churches, but I think you're going to try to sell us on the idea of the church just being one. Yes. I remember I had a friend who was a Spanish Dominican and he never been to the United States. So when he came here, he said to me, Oh, not only a different church on every street, but a different religion. Because, <laughs> you know, that's not really their experience. Uh, as you know, in the Apostles' Creed, we say that we believe in one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. And the uh, mystery of Christian unity and the church's unity is due to the fact the church is a divine society. In other words, that it is not an earthly society in the sense like a political state. In fact, the unity of the church and our unity in the church as a society is caused, according to the Vatican Council, quoting St. Cyprian in the document on the church, the same unity as is experienced between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in heaven. The Catechism very pointedly remarks, therefore, that as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit form one Godhead, unity is of the essence of the church. What characterizes this unity? Well, it's not so much that we all have the same culture or something like that, but and there's a great diversity of various um, traditions and things in the church, 
but they're basically held together by charity and by grace. And so the Catechism also remarks, and this follows a kind of common teaching of the Church, that there are three basic requirements to be a member of the Church, and that is profession of one faith received from the Apostles. Now that's something we've been talking about a lot in the readings for Easter, because the whole way that the one church spreads through the apostolic mystery is recounted, and most recently, if you go to daily mass, they've had the section in Acts on the so-called First Council of Jerusalem, where the subject of the Gentiles being one with the church comes up and what they have to do to do that. The second is the common celebration of divine worship especially of the sacraments. And the third is something I think is very important today and very difficult, and that is apostolic succession through the sacrament of holy orders, maintaining the fraternal concord of God's family. Now the reason I say that that's difficult, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk about the unity of the church is because of the whole problem of synodality. What actually is synodality? And does that mean we have different churches? As you know, when the Protestant Reformation occurred, the churches basically split according to uh, ethnic lines or confessional lines or who was the king or something like that. So disunited did the church become that maybe 30 years after Luther, the Catholic Church, the Roman Church, as you know, called the Council of Trent. Now, the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time, Archbishop Cranmer, who was a reforming bishop, decided that he wanted to try to have a pan-Protestant council to answer the, the pan-Catholic council. In other words, he wanted to present a unified statement of Protestantism just as the Catholic Church have presented a unified statement of Catholicism. The trouble was they couldn't even decide on where to meet. <laughs> the Germans wanted to meet in Germany, the Swiss wanted to meet in Switzerland, the French wanted to meet in France, the English wanted to meet in Engl English England, and they couldn't even agree on where to have this kind of common meeting they wanted to have. The reason is because once you undercut things like the apostolic succession, and our union with the apostles, it's actually the faith the apostles have on Pentecost, which is the source of the unity of all of our faith all throughout the centuries. Councils, even, aren't making new doctrines. The Pope can't make a new doctrine. What they're trying to do is plumb the unity of mind which the apostles had on that first Pentecost when the Holy Spirit taught them the final, complete, unified doctrine concerning Christ and his resurrection, and therefore, of course, the Holy Trinity. So it's very important for us to realize that synods only participate in that unity by the behest of the Pope. A synod has no canonical authority apart from that given to it by the universal church. And, of course, the Pope represents the universal teaching authority. He's the only bishop that can teach on his own for the whole church. All the other bishops can
can teach in their diocese, but only the Pope can teach to the whole church. It's one of the reasons why he's mentioned in the canon of the Mass, the only one uh, in, in a see which is not uh, his own, because the office of Peter subsedes all, after all, by Christ's institution. And in addition to the famous uh, text on the keys, that institution is expressed in Luke, where Christ says to Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, which is one, and you in believing strengthen and confirm your brethren, which has always been interpreted to be the bishops. In other words, the Pope is the bishop of the bishops, and his purpose is to unify the worldwide episcopacy to reflect the true apostolic succession. Synods are one of the ways they do this, but it only has as much authority as the universal church in the person of the Pope as the head of the College of Bishops will give it. So during this time when we're getting ready to celebrate Pentecost, we need to remember that there can't be 15 different Christian religions that all disagree on who Jesus is. Either Jesus founded a church with seven sacraments, or he didn't. Somebody has to be right. You can't just affirm everybody's just teaching the same God. Because, yes, there are, there are very great similarities, but there are a few major disagreements. <laughs> and these disagreements become exacerbated so much that they eventually cause all these different religions so that in the United States, for example, we don't just have a different church on every block. We almost have a different religion on every block. Well, Christ prays that they may all be one, as you far other in me and I in you. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in the United States and Canada. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we still want to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. A brand spanking new book from EWTN Publishing for May, Simple Steps to a Stronger Marriage by our friend Dr. Ray Garendi. Dr. Ray explains that the secret of a good marriage is applying a handful of common sense, time-tested ideas 
practiced by others who have done it well. With Dr. Ray's advice, you'll learn how the uh, you'll learn the importance of developing the habit of saying I'm sorry, tips on how husbands can support their wives in parenting, and much, much more. Simple steps to a stronger marriage by Dr. Ray Garendi, available from EWTN Publishing. You can get it at EWTN's religious catalog. That's EWTNRC.com by Catholic Shop EWTNRC.com. I wonder if uh Dr. Ray's lovely wife, Randy, is making him read his own book, too. <laughs> <laughs> and while you're out at EWTNRC.com, check out the great books from Father Brian Milady as well. Wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Pick up the phone and give us a call. Andrew's watching us on YouTube. He said, if the Orthodox liturgy is done... At the Eastern Catholic parishes, including the Filioque at the Creed, why should an Orthodox divine liturgy not count as fulfilling your Sunday obligation? Uh, I'm, I don't know too much about the Orthodox canon law or the Roman canon law in its regard, but my impression was in an emergency it did count for your Sunday obligation. Now, I could be corrected about that, but that's my impression. To my knowledge, I think you are correct. Now, if you have an ob- obligation... Because it's a valid Eucharist. Yeah, maybe yeah. by a, people in... And they're not really in schism anymore. I think they heal that, too. They've changed a lot of stuff about it. The trouble is they never will be united because the Greeks, especially the Greeks, they, don't, they still haven't forgiven us for Constantinople. And I remember when the uh, Pope met Athenagoras, or whoever it was, the first patriarch he met of Constantinople, the patriarchs were, you know, they loved it, but the monks at Mount Athos excommunicated him. <laughs> so <laughs> I doubt that they, they have strong feelings and a long memory <laughs> and uh, much of the difficulty in all that is over terminology. Now, it's true. The Pope is the Patriarch of the West, but he's also the uh, Vicar of Christ, and I think that's the thing they find difficult. But as a result, their own bishops, something is missing in their authority because they've not managed to unify with each other either. And also, they what preserves them is their respect for tradition in the past and their culture, because they won't change that. But uh, it's it's not an easy uh, issue. Yeah. Um, Ronald is watching, and he writes in, when Scripture says be subject to the governing authorities, what does that mean? What if the governing authorities are corrupt? Okay, well, the governing authorities he's speaking of there, if I recall, is in St. Peter. And as I, if I recall correctly, it has to do with Nero. <laughs> so, pure God and honor the emperor, that kind of thing. Um, well, no matter how corrupt the governing authority is, there are certain things where they command the truth. So, for example, um, you might have a terrible totalitarian dictatorship, but the traffic laws are good things because they keep people from killing each other. So you should obey the traffic laws. You can't obey anything 
which is contrary to the natural law, because that isn't a law, and it's not, it doesn't come under authority. Uh, it's a usurpation of law on the part of an authority, and that's a re as a result, it has to be resisted or at least ignored. We're waiting for your phone call and your question here on EWTN's Open Line Thursday. Pick up the phone and give us a call. The number is 833-288-EWTN. It's a free call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. Ben would like to know, put on your, your, uh, your philosophy hat here. Ben would like to know, would it be possible for someone to prove that eternity exists? How can we know that there is an eternal life? Well, again, I'm not really sure we need to prove that. Uh, the thing is, to try to deny it and then say that you exist, anything exists here on Earth, it's almost like the first principles. You can't prove the first principles of philosophy. Like the thing cannot both be and not be the same thing at the same time and in the same respect. But the way, the proof, if you want to put it that way, is to deny it and then say, well, gee, I deny my own statement denying that. <laughs> uh, the, the concept of eternity is a difficult one because it can mean either time that's extended so we can see no beginning or end to it, or it can mean something which is outside of time. Now, obviously, when it comes to God's existence, it means something outside of time. And the idea would be, I think, that if you can prove there's a being that doesn't change, then that would be a truly eternal being. And you can prove that, actually, because you can prove God's existence. But as for proving that it's not possible for there to be any um, an endless created time, there's no proof for that exactly. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Kyle wants to know if the devil can make people do things. Can he get into our minds? Okay, well, those are two different questions. Uh, the devil, remember, is an angel, which means that he has sensual knowledge, or he doesn't have senses, but, I mean, he has knowledge of external things. And each internal things, the people allow him to have knowledge of. In the sense that he is an angel and can move our senses by images and things like that, he can get us to do things, which is what happens in things like possession or obsession. But the devil can't enter into the depth of the conscience and force us to do something. That's in the deepest levels of what it means to be an individual, I. He can suggest things, as Satan suggested to Adam, but he can't force us to do those things. Whereas the devil can force your limbs to move and things like that because he does have some control over matter as an angel. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in the United States or Canada. That number again is 
3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. Uh, you can always send us an email, openline at EWTN.com. David is a first-time caller in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, listening on Catholic Community Radio. David, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, I was in Mass uh, the other Sunday, and my eight-year-old was asking me, um, when we re- recite the Creed, we say he rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. And he thought that that was sort of like, well, that's according to them. Like there was, it was a maybe, and and me and my wife were talking. Well, the whole creed is in accordance with scriptures, so we were unsure how to explain why that line is citing a reference, and the rest of the creed is is not citing the reference. Like, we didn't understand what was different about some. You know, he's just being an eight-year-old attorney, and I just didn't know how to explain that to him or, or how they wrote that. So I didn't. Uh, they were garbled in your transmission. Um, your problem is why they that one article of the creed that we use according to the scriptures in it. That's correct. Uh, well, uh, I would say that the reason is because the whole concept of the resurrection of the dead is something that needs uh, scriptural evidence and is, you know, something the prophets talk about. Things like. Um, Oh, David, you know, uh, as the Son of Man will be in the uh, earth for three days and three nights, and the references to Jonah being in the whale. Or you have the whole thing of the bones living again in Ezekiel. Uh, I think the according to the scriptures there would be the resurrection of the dead, which was a very difficult doctrine for people to believe. Because it's very, it's a miracle after all, and there's no real evidence for it except Christ's own appearances. So that's what I would say. Eight three three two eight eight E W T N. That's our toll free number. Eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. Josh would like to know what is in persona Christi, and how can I explain it to a non-Catholic? Okay, in persona Christi means that when the priest celebrates the sacraments, but especially the Eucharist, because the words he uses in the Eucharist are just a quotation of the words of institution from the Passover meal that Christ used, this is my body and this is my blood, that the priest there, because it involves a divine power, no longer acts in the name of the person whose name is on his driver's license or his passport. He now takes the place of Christ the high priest and acts because the Lord is the principal celebrant for every Mass. And since he acts in the person of Christ the high priest, it would be very unfitting. It's one of the arguments against woman's ordination. But even more than that, it would be very unfitting for the priest to ad lib during the ritual. So some of you may have had the experience that you'll get these priests 
who, you know, want to be nice. They want to be in union with the faithful. They want to prove to people that they're they're really just folks, which is, you know, it's it's a laudable thing to do to make the church more accessible to people. But they do this in the strangest ways. So they'll ad lib during Mass. Hi, how are you? Gee, the weather was bad today, wasn't it? Um, or they'll talk about their girlfriend when they were 15. I remember one sister I knew once said after a mass like this, uh, why do we think we care about what his girlfriend was like when he was 15? We want to hear about Jesus, not about him. (laughs) 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Straight ahead, we're going to talk to Louie in Georgia, and we've got plenty of time for your calls as well. That's 833-288-3986. And Father, you were explaining to Josh uh, what is meant by in persona Christi and how he might explain it to a non-Catholic. Oh, yeah. Well, using the example of a play, uh, there's a whole ancient theory of drama, which comes from Aristotle, which is the idea that a person in a play is acts in the name of someone else. Now, modern drama is very different. In modern drama, they think you're just quoting lines, but as you say yourself, that's not the ancient theory. The ancient theory is that like if I play Othello, I have to take on the person of Othello in some way. There's a famous old movie where the actor becomes so identified with Othello that he actually kills his girlfriend like Othello did as the Mona uh, when she was innocent of adultery because he thought she'd committed adultery. And he looked at everything in, in that light. So take the example, let's say you're going to Hamlet and you expect to see Hamlet, and the actor starts with to be or not to be, that is the question. Hi, how are you? Gee, it's good to see you all today. I had a great time. I had a funny thing happen to me on the way to the theater. Whether well, it is noble of the mind to suffer the slaves in their religious fortune or to make arms against the sea of trouble, you, you want your money back. Well, a similar thing is true at Mass. I mean, we don't go to see the priest the human priest, because the primary settlement of every Mass is is our Lord from heaven. So I I remember one time we had a priest say, we got to get rid of all those choir stalls and all that stuff between me and the people because I can't preside over them with that valley of the shadow of death between me and the congregation. So I couldn't resist, and I said, well, Father, uh, they don't come to see you. (laughs) <laughs> at least they shouldn't. They come to see him, and he he must increase, but I must decrease. So the impersona Christi is the metaphysical principle that in order to transform the bread and wine to the body and blood of Christ, Christ's action is directly necessary. And the human priest, remember, the catechism says this, and so does Vatican II, is only a minister, but the primary high priest in Catholicism is our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I love the Hamlet analogy. That was very good. Mm-hmm. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Louie is a first-time caller in the great state of Georgia, listening on the quest out of Atlanta. Louie, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I tell you, Mr. Lane, for many, many years, decades, 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 not 75, I've tried to read God's word out and he's problem. But anyhow, I would like to hear what the Catholic explanation is for Matthew 23, 9, where Jesus says to call no man your father upon the earth. Uh, so I didn't get the whole thing, but it's the the same old question about calling me it is. your father. It is. The Catholic perspective on we answered, We answered this last week. We answered it the week before. <laughs> Look, Christ is, doesn't give grammar lessons, all right? That's not the reason he came from heaven to earth. And to take him as saying you can't call any person on earth father, you can't call your own father and your family a father, is absolutely ridiculous. I'm sorry. Um, uh, it has it's anti-clerical. That's why it was the Protestants adopted it to begin with. And um, the term "father" there means that the origin of all authority is God. And as a result, if a person does use the word "father" or "rabbi" or some title which is respectful of some position in which he represents God that all people who do that must remember that they don't do it in their own person again, that they're representing the one fatherhood authority and directing power of God in heaven. So it's not an attempt to give a grammar lesson any more than when Jesus says, don't carry a traveling bag with you, don't wear a second pair of sandals. He's not making a travel log there how to pack on your voyage. It has to do with relying on divine providence. Well, this way is to, is to recognize the fact, and I believe all Protestants would do this too, they would never not call their own father and their family a father because of what our Lord says, that anyone who exercises authority in the church has to do so in the name of God and not in their own name. Thanks, Louie. We appreciate the call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-3986. I'm going to clue you in, everybody within the sound of my voice, to a treasure that we have. Those of you that are listening to EWTN Radio right now who maybe have not listened to EWTN Radio on the weekend, we have a magnif- We have a lot of magnificent programs on the weekend, but one in particular It's called Stories from the Heart, and it is Sandra McDevitt who actually finds magnificent stories that really bring home the Catholic faith, and she reads those stories to us. Everybody likes to be read to. Most of us learned our love for language and and reading from being read to by our parents, and I'll tell you, more than once, I have pulled into my garage, turned off the car, and sat in the car until... Sandra was finished reading this story because I was so captivated by it. So join us for Stories from the Heart Sunday morning at 9.15 Eastern Time. Uh, This week, Sandra McDevitt shares a riveting tale about the endurance of Maria Stuples in Latvia during World War II. It's well worth your while. Check it out. 
Stories from the Heart, 9.15 Eastern on Sunday morning right here on EWTN Radio. Um, Taylor wants to know, what is the relationship between the doctrine of divine simplicity and the Holy Trinity? Well, uh, I believe the way she wants to ask the question is, uh, how can God be three and one at the same time? I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it is, after all, a mystery <laughs> that we will never totally understand. Uh, the way you answer that is the way that uh, several of the councils did. The famous Athanasian Creed talks about the fact that, you know, there aren't one, there aren't three lords, there's only one lord. There aren't three. Uh, the, the only thing that distinguishes the persons of the Trinity is not the fact that they're God, not the fact that they're eternal, not the fact that they're equally to be adored and glorified, not the fact that they're not, uh, um, uh, you know, experience divinity, but it's how they do it. So the Father is the origin, the Son is originated, and the Holy Spirit is originated from the Father. And the Son, we use the word procession, too, proceeds from the Father and the Son. Partially because those words don't imply a beginning or an end, nor do they imply uh, change. Because they're all three God. Uh, the way we uh, reconcile the divine simplicity is that the only distinction is in relationship of origin. There is no distinction in being. But that is a mystery, after all. And we will never totally understand it. I do get a little frustrated with preachers I listen to on the Feast of the Holy Trinity, where they say, well, today's the day when we can't say anything because it's all a mystery, so they just sit down. <laughs> and I think, well, my gosh, the whole religion's based on the Trinity. You, you might have something you can say about it. <laughs> but uh, it, it passes our understanding. 833-288-EWTN. Open phone lines for you. And still time for your calls at 833 833- Two eight eight three nine eight six. It's it's Sunday obligation Thursday here on EWTN Radio. Uh, we had a question about the Eastern Orthodox liturgy fulfilling your Sunday obligation earlier, and Rebecca would like to know if you can replace your Sunday mass obligation with attending a daily mass. Uh, not normally, but there are people who are forced, for example, to work on Sunday. Um, especially now in businesses and things like that, they can, uh, remember the sin is to not attend Mass through your own fault. All right. So uh, I find Catholics very amusing because there are some who don't go at all and some who take it so seriously that they can't make distinctions. Well, I didn't go to Mass Sunday, they'll say in confession. Really? Why? Well, I had a broken leg, and I had uh, uh, AIDS, and I couldn't walk, and I couldn't... Well, uh, that's not a sin. I mean, in itself, it's a sin, because it's missing mass, but you're not responsible for it, all right? So you don't incur any guilt because of it. So sometimes priests will tell people, well, if you can't go on Sunday because of work or something like that, but you can go during the week... You really should, obviously it doesn't, is it the Lord's Day, 
but you really should take advantage of daily mass in order to continue your devotion to the mass. In itself, it wouldn't take the place of the obligation. On the other hand, sometimes you can't do the obligation, and if you went the extra mile, at least it would have the fruit of continuing to keep your focus on Christ in the Eucharist. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. Still time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Caleb asks, when we die, does the Bible explain how to properly bury someone? Uh, no. There's no burial ritual in the Bible. The uh, Remember, everything that isn't in the Bible, all right? We also believe in tradition. So uh, there were Jewish burial customs, but those were characteristic of the Jews. Things like uh, our Lord, as you know, he had the spices and he had the cloths and he had the stone in front of the tomb rolled in front of it and things like that. When it comes to Christians, the only thing we're asked to do is to be respectful of the body. Before that meant, uh, well, not necessarily embalming it, you know, there are many countries in the world, Catholic countries, where people aren't embalmed. I remember where there was a priest who died in Rome, and they kept him in the parlor overnight because there's a law in Italy that you have to bury someone within 24 hours. They don't embalm people. So th that's what they did. So um, the only thing would be to be respectful of the body. Now, before, that usually meant that you couldn't perform cremation uh, that was because cremation was highly associated with the Eastern or uh, church, uh, not churches, but the Eastern pagan religions, and it had to do with the, the fact that the body needed to be destroyed to set the soul free, something we don't believe. So that's why we incense the body and we give it a special place to, um, you know, be buried. Now they do permit that, but what they don't permit is the scattering of the ashes or keeping the ashes in a place that would be unfitting for the dead. So you can be buried at sea with your ashes in an urn, for example, but you have to seal it and drop it in the ocean. You can't just scatter it all over Santa Monica Bay or something like that because that's very disrespectful to the body. So that would be the only, as far as I understand it, real requirement. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Jane wants to know, when Jesus experienced the passion, did he suffer the sins of all people, past, present, and future? Yes. Remember, when it comes to Christ, there's three forms of knowledge. You have the same knowledge we have through the senses. You also have a kind of infused knowledge of Christ of his mission, like he knew that he was going to be crucified and knew he was going to rise in the dead. But then you have this very peculiar thing where it's unique to Jesus. No one else has it. Mary doesn't have it. Nobody else has it. Which is that in his human mind, he saw God from the moment of his conception, the womb of his mother. 
Now, since he saw God, he saw the world time through eternity. And so in the agony in the garden, for example, uh, he one of the things that caused him to sweat blood was he personally experienced every single individual human sin in his sacred heart. And he carried that with him to the cross. And oddly enough, those Christ's physical sufferings were horrendous. The primary suffering is uh, internal, and it's the horror at the nature of extent of the individual sins of human beings. Uh, next up is Allison in Ann Arbor, Michigan, listening on Ave Maria Radio. Allison, you are on with Father Brian Milady. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I was wondering about confession, and after you, you say your sins and they give you the absolution and give you your penance, uh, is that penance count then for the reparation of all those sins, or do you have to keep making reparations? And the second point to that is if you forget sins um, and want to say them, but you forgot them in the confession, and do you have to go back and, and, and say them the next time, or are those considered uh, forgiven? And if so, are the reparations from penance um, allotted to those sins? Well, now you asked me six questions, right? <laughs> Let's see if I can remember some of them. Uh, when it comes to your penance, that resolves for the sins you committed. If you should happen to forget a mortal sin, you must make always distinctions between mortal and venial sins here, and later you remember it, sincerely forget and sincerely remember, your sin is still forgiven, but the church's uh, practice after the Council of Trent is to say, but it still must be mentioned in a confession to put it under the power of the keys. On the other hand, there are moralists who reflect on this particular fact and say this teaching is not to be told to scrupulous people. <laughs> because they'll go back over their whole life to catalog over and over again whether this was forgiven, how sincere they were. How, no, uh-uh. It's just simple. Keep it simple, all right? Uh, okay, now regarding, let's see, what was the second part? There was a second part that was... Uh, basically, uh, does absolution and fulfilling your penance take care of all uh, temporal punishment that may be due to those sins? Well, not temporal punishment. It takes care of eternal punishment. So you're willing to go to he you're going to go to heaven, and your penance is somewhat connected to that. It's a symbol more than anything else. But you also have to atone for people you've offended, things you've left undone. Uh, suppose Hitler had, let's say. He'd uh, repented in the last incident of his life. Well, that would be accepted by God, who's very merciful, but it doesn't mean that Hitler gets away with killing millions of people. Uh, that's what uh, purgatory is for. Now, many people suffer their purgatory on earth, like uh, Ill, a terminal illness, for example. It's very painful. I remember Mother Teresa once said that... Uh, she was talking to a woman who was suffering from a terminal illness and was in great pain. And she told her, she said, 
Now, dear, don't get too upset. Remember, these are like the kisses of Jesus. And the woman said, Mother, could Jesus love me a little less? <laughs> but, uh, okay, suppose you don't atone for your sin by your own positive actions while you're on earth. Well, that's what purgatory after death exists for, only the suffering there is only passive. But normally, for the sins you've committed in a particular confession, as far as the eternal punishment is concerned, of course you become worthy of heaven and you return to the state of grace. So that's what the penance is for there. And if you forget it, just say some prayers, you know. It doesn't have to be exact. It should. You asked me if it counted. It's not a ledger system. <laughs> it's a union of love with Christ. Now, we recognize that we've interrupted that union of love in certain specific ways. That we need to try to address. Like if I murder someone who's a friend because I have a terrible temper, part of the thing I have to address is how how I could have done that to someone whom I supposedly love. And secondly, what is it about me internally that's so disordered that it would lead me to lose my temper that way? And how am I going to address that? So that would be, but that's not a condition for forgiveness. That's more uh, a reflection on what needs to be made up for as a result of my sin. God bless you, Allison. Thanks so much for that great question today. Next up is Carol, another first-time caller in the great state of Minnesota, listening on the Amazon Echo. Carol, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Thank you. Um, Father, could you explain, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, while the Spirit lives because of justice, Romans 8? Well, the body there doesn't refer to the physical body. The body there refers to the material punishments due to sin from the original sin. And uh, when Christ is in us, uh, we still have these material effects. We're foolish of heart and slow to believe. But Christ has given us the strength after a long period of time, mostly some people he gives us almost instantaneous strength. But after a long period of time, to grow out of those things. So that's what it means by the body being dead to sin. James wants to know if God loves Satan. Uh, well, here we must make a distinction. Dominicans love distinctions. <laughs> it's like all sinners. God loves Satan as an existing thing which he created. But he does not love what he does. And uh, that has to be changed if Satan is going to accept God's love. Now, what Satan wants to do is love God, but he wants to do it on his terms, not God's terms. Well, because God's terms involve obedience, and Satan does not like obedience at all. <laughs> he wants to be called the shots in the relationship. And with regard to his eternal disposition, that ship has sailed, right? Uh, well, of course, yeah. He's an angel. Angels have these very good things in the sense that they have instantaneous knowledge and they also have uh, 
very strong wills, but these things can be liabilities because their pilgrimage toward heaven is fixed or not in their first choice because it's so powerful. And uh, Satan fixed his choice. He was given the choice, God or self, and he chose self. And he spends all eternity trying to get other people to choose self too so that he won't feel that he made a mistake. Um, Brandon wants to know why Catholics pray to Mary. Oh, that we, okay, let's get our terminology straight here now. Uh, again, this is a question we're constantly asked, and it's the way the question's framed that makes it difficult to answer pro properly. We don't pray to Mary. We pray through Mary to Jesus. Mary is an intercessor. Just like suppose you wanted to get something from somebody that your mother was friends with. And you, you don't pray to your mother. You're not trying to get, your mother can't give it to you for one thing. But she could recommend you very highly to someone else. So she could be concerned for her boy or girl that they succeed. And uh, in the same way we intercede for other people on earth, we ask Mary's intercession. Now why Mary? Well, she's a particularly powerful intercessor because she is Christ's mother, according to the flesh. And not only that, but I think I was reading Dr. Hahn or somebody who said that in the Hebrew court, in the Jewish court, the queen mother was more important than the queen. You know, she got her way more, more than the queen did. <laughs> and, uh, and that, in a sense, that's uh, interesting. Um, because in England, for example, the Queen Mother was a very powerful figure uh, in the royal family. Well, it was Elizabeth's mother, but still. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, our producer, Charles Beery, call screener Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Thursday. Back at it tomorrow with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, on Open Line Friday. <laughs>